This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today our special guest is Sharmis Lee. And he is the owner of Building Champions, the author of Think, Say, Do. He's the author also of six additional books. He's prolific and a two-time TEDx speaker. And he also speaks to Vistage groups across the country. Sharmis, thanks so much for taking time. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. Just glad to be here. Well, absolutely. We're going to have some fun. So to start off, if you would, tell me about your business and who you serve. Well, Bob, the name of the business is Building Champions, and we specialize in personal and professional development. I've been a coach for over 32 years, eclipsed the 10,000-hour rule two and a half times. And what I've seen is with victory in sight, I've seen many people slip into mediocrity. So we create comprehensive strategies for those who are trying to move in a different direction, provide them with a purpose plan and a clear set of priorities and get them to knock the ball out of the park every single day. You and I talked before the show started and I read the Think, Say, Do book. And I also was lucky enough to see you speak at a Vistage group. So I am exposed to your work and you have quite the history. You're working in the athletic arena at the Olympic level, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so you've done track and field? Yes, sir. So, Bob, I've had a chance to work with athletes in the National Football League, senior level figure skaters, USA track and field, and the World Boxing Organization. You know, I think of figure skaters and boxers. They both got to move on their feet, right? Or bad things happen. That's right. They got to have excellent footwork. But more than that, Bob, they have to have the right mindset. They've got to bring the right mindset every single day, especially in the competitive environment. I think about that statement, you know, and maybe years ago, the mindset wasn't that much of a buzzword, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. and I think about mindset now and I've got kids and I try to coach my kids and they're older. And so we talk about mindset and approach and, you know, having a mindset and keeping a mindset, I think are two different, two distinct skill sets. You know, for you, when you're working with the athlete that's on the long grind mm -hmm. to get to a honed edge, what do you do to help them keep their mindset? So, uh, you know, Bob, that's a great question, first and foremost. But I think the biggest, most important factor is it's going to start with their attitude. So my responsibility is to ensure that they bring the right attitude so that they'll have the right perspective. And it's kind of funny how the mind works. Based on the attitude, it will determine how you see others and how others see you. And it, it plays such a, a big role. The second thing is that we have to create a series of habits, practices, and rituals that they perform on a daily basis. I want them to get to a place where when they don't perform a habit, practice, or ritual that we've designed, for example, an AM ritual or a PM ritual, that they're incredibly uncomfortable. So what that will do is that will set the tempo and press the agenda for the day, whether it be in the training environment or actually in the competition environment. We implement mental fortitude routines, and we call them mental mastery routines, and sometimes, Bob, they're so amazing that these athletes are trained to put a full script together in black and white and memorize it, including sights, sounds, and smells, and things of that nature of the environment they're about to go into. They can visibly or visually see what's going to take place during the competition, whether it be boxing or whatever the case may be. And they already have a strategy in place, basically, on what's going to happen. For example, if I get hit or if I've got to go from left to right, or if I fall during my exhibition. So they've already got this, I call it a front side focus. And that's really a big part of it. It's my responsibility is to prepare them for everything. Condition the mind for success, the physical body for success, 
and have the right attitude as they invoke on this journey. I think about the inventory of tasks. You know, mm-hmm. you go, okay, what are the proper steps to get there mindset? You go, how do you visualize and anticipate without fulfilling what you just visualized, like falling down? You know, and you go, well, I visualized that, so well, I did, kind of thing. What are the building blocks that you see when you're working with an athlete that takes them from perhaps a challenging time frame to where they can adhere to that mindset visualization process? What are the steps? Well, I think the first step for me, when I get an athlete, I perform an evaluation to determine where they are physiologically and psychologically. We do a full-blown assessment to determine, you know, what they're doing with their nutrition, with their sleep, with their exercise, the kind of attitude they bring to the table. And, you know, Bob, it's not just the athlete. It's the CEO or the executive director, whomever I'm working with at that time. We perform a full-blown evaluation. And then, Bob, I have to meet them where they're at. I think one of the mistakes I made when I was a younger coach some 30 years ago was I would mistake chronological age for biological age. So you may have a young person who looks like they're 25, but they're only 16. And I would want to train them like they were 25. Well, guess what? When they're 16, they're 16. So what I have to do is I have to really be smart about how we communicate the expectations. We also have clearly defined expectations, clearly defined consequences, clearly defined requirements for our results, but also be pliable and flexible about what's going on. Post-evaluation, Bob, we simply create a plan. And we want to create a plan that's pliable for both of us. I believe that you should have a bit of fun when you're going down a journey like this, and it's important to enjoy the journey. I suggest to them, when it's time to work, it's time to work, and when it's time to play, I want you to play like there's no tomorrow. If we can forge a link between attention and excellence with the athlete or the CEO or whomever I'm working with, or the eight-year-old soccer athlete, there's a very good chance that success would be imminent. But the first piece is, how can I establish rapport? How can we forge a link between attention and excellence? How can I teach them, Bob, to sell themselves on themselves? Because you're going to get hit if you're a boxer. You're going to fall if you're a skater. You're going to get knocked into the stand if you're a football player. And if you're a world-class hurdler, trust me, you're going to fall. And it's going to hurt. So you have to learn how to get back up, sell yourself on yourself, renew the excuses. I provide them with some friendly accountability with one of my morning mantras or something to that effect. We just stay, keep them on track. <laughs> I think about that. That's a large dinner right there. There's a lot to consume. And I think about young CEO, they got in the job and they have, perhaps it's the first time that they've been a CEO and they go, well, I now have to go and drive this operation properly. And there are sets skill stacks requirement. So when you talk to that younger CEO or even the experienced CEO, that's kind of run out of bandwidth and you're looking at building blocks, for you and that client, when you start to prioritize those building blocks, do you, what's your process to identify and then prioritize? Well, Bob, I think the first thing is vision. We want to reestablish the vision, and I let the young CEO know, and the CEOs are becoming younger and younger, as you well know, of some pretty serious corporations. It could be that we're just getting older. (laughs) (laughs) I just think they're getting younger. So, Bob, the first thing is I ask them about the vision and the vision that I want to I want them to describe to me is the one where they're swinging from the chandelier. I don't want to talk about the mamsy pamsy vision. That's a different conversation. That's for a different coach. So we start with this vision piece. I have this thing called the success wheel. So it's basically 
Do you have clearly defined expectations for yourself? Do you have clearly defined goals? Are you results oriented? Have you learned how to manage energy and not time like outstanding performers do? One of the biggest things that the CEOs tell me, these young guys, we don't have enough time. You know, some of them have families and et cetera. It's, it's not about time. You need a deadline. You have to learn to honor deadlines. So we kind of go through this process. We look at the success when we find where they're lacking. So for example, Bob, let's just say the gentleman or the young lady give themselves a score of three on a scale of one to five in its vision. I'll ask them a question. So what would your personal look like and your personal life look like in total victory? And I mean total victory. Bob, I would suggest that 65 to 70% of the time they have dismissed that aspect of their life. They're there to serve and they're to run things, but they've forgotten about this personal piece. I talked to them about, about being selfish for the first 60 minutes of the day. Be selfish the first 60 minutes of the day. And you take care of yourself, you invest in yourself first, make yourself the first check on your priority list. So then for the remainder of the day, those other 11 hours you're gonna work, you can be selfless toward others. I also share with them about this vision piece. Most people don't understand that. Vision is not a place that you go to, it's a place that you come from. I heard that quote from someone else and you have to learn to live it daily in every single dimension of your life. So it's about your spirituality, it's about your academics, it's about your professional development, it's about your family. How do you show up and show out every single day? It starts with a clearly constructed vision. Those who have not designed a clearly constructed vision, when the obstacles get in the way, they seem to be the first ones who want to derail themselves from the prize. And it's an easy thing to do, big time easy, easy thing to do. We start with the vision and then we move forward from there. I think about the opportunity to be distracted. <laughs> yeah. You know, in any given day, if you could see my desk, you can tell that I don't complete any single task at one time. And you can't see, but, <laughs> but it's one of those things. It's the nature of the beast, I think. But the rituals to come back and get recentered. And then you go, did I get the priorities of the day done properly? Gratitude and family and the things that are important and have you taken care of those, you know, I think is easily lost easily subsumed by something else. And for you, you know, the thing that I found interesting is, as we were talking about periodization, there's a word. Basically, what I thought was interesting is that really, as I was looking at the definition, had a lot to do with physical fitness regimen. And I would be interested to hear from you is where you started seeing the physical regimen go over to the business regimen application of that technique. For those that are watching from home, we have severe weather in the front range of Colorado right now. And what Charmis has going on is the, and I'll probably have it shortly too, is a severe weather alert. So, and of course, my background looks like sunny and 80. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, mine's going off to flash flood. So anyways, we press on. So Bob, Again, I've been a coach for 32 years and I, you know, I work with various levels of sport, little guys all the way to the big guys, girls and et cetera. And what I've been able to do is learn what it takes to become a champion, both on and off the field. If you would have told me 25 years ago that I'd be doing this professional speaking and coaching outside of the athletic arena, I'd have probably said, Bob, you're not telling the truth. <laughs> I wouldn't call you a liar. But I would say you probably weren't telling the truth. You're misguided, sir. 
But it became pretty evident to me when I began to watch people with what I call unrealized potential, meaning that I could see what they had in them, but they couldn't see it. Or, I mean, they would trip over the in the parking lot over one of the lines in the, in the parking lot and thinking there's something missing here. So I simply took the same strategies that I use in the track or in the football arena, whatever the case, and I put together a curriculum. And then I began to test it out. And it was an amazing thing. There were some things, a direct correlation between those who could achieve in the athletic arena, whether they did have or did not have the giftedness, skill, or ability, same in the academic or corporate arena. I determined that the skills of concentration and focus were the two primary pieces to affect actual performance. And, and here's how this happens, Bob. So we speak at approximately, I believe, 125 words per minute. We listen at 400 words per minute. We think at 48 thoughts per minute. The mind has so much time to wander. So we are constantly distracted and bombarded with so many things. I got to determine that the first step in the same for no matter whom I'm working with, is to forge that link between attention and excellence. So when I begin to teach them those kinds of things in the athletic arena, in fact, our first six minutes of any training session, no matter what group I'm working with, it's mental fortitude training. And this is simply designed to remove the distractions that they're dealing with. And we call it driving their attention forward. You drive the attention forward and you get the biggest bang for the buck. And I'll tell you how, how powerful this piece is, Bob. I used to work with athletes five days a week, a couple hours a day. We got so good at this aspect of the mental fortitude training that we went from five days a week, two hours a day to 135 minutes a week total and got the same or better result. Why? They were dialed in and focused. And I could hold their attention for 45 minutes, three times a week, and I'm telling you it was an amazing thing. So once I realized that focus and concentration were so essential, I began to drop it into different environments and begin to teach that. I began to teach it because I believed it. And I also needed to work that within my own self, you know, to learn how to, to attend and to attune. Bob, I ended up doing a couple of things, my friend. I began to really study neuroscience and these other sciences outside of sports science. And I recognized there's a direct correlation in many levels on performance. And I began to put the pieces together. And let me just share this. There's a rule out there. It's called the 595 rule of human performance. It suggests that Performance is 95% physiological and 5% psychological, but the five controls the 95. It was Dr. Kenneth Hinton who discovered this. I adapted that rule and I created a stepwise approach titled Think, Say, Do, so I could give other people a stepwise approach to winning in life. It is nothing more than the 595 rule of human performance wrapped up nice and neat in language that you can understand from the perspective of the I'll use the term the layman, not the athlete, driving that attention forward, putting the right habits, practices, and rituals in place, committing to <laughs> the habits, practices, and rituals, bringing the proper energy and attitude to every single situation and demanding the most from yourself. And that was kind of it. So, so Bob, if I'm working with you, you have a different genetic ceiling than someone else would have, meaning that you may be able to achieve a whole lot more based on who you are. My responsibility as a coach is to, is to close that genetic ceiling year after year after year, if you're an athlete, CEO, or whomever, so that you can become the best in the world so you can do what's best for the world. And that's what I do on my side of the house. It's, it's a 
periodization is simply a strength and conditioning model that's been around for years, like since the 1960s. And we created what we call a undulating periodization model, which is effective in our, that's very effective for the corporate arena as well. Old days, it's big bouts of work with big bouts of recovery. So you'd spike like this. Undulating is more like this. I can keep you at 88%, about 364 days a year. When I'm doing the standard periodization, you're only good for about four or five races in a full year. At 88%, man, I can spike you from time to time. You can peak up to six times in a year. So the same thing, we put these same models in the corporate arena and we teach our clients these things. So Bob, one of the things that athletes are good at, the good ones, they don't see time as time. They manage their energy, not their time. And how they manage energy is this. And Bob, I'm 59, so energy is one of my strongest resources is I have to be careful. They keep the priority the priority. So time and energy sit on the same couch, but we don't look at, everybody has 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, 168 hours. It's how you use that time. And if I'm going to keep the priority the priority and remove the distractions, Bob, I'm going to get more done than the next guy. I can stay focused longer than the next guy. And ultimately, I'm going to win. So pull those things from the strength and conditioning side, you know, rest and recovery and hydration and fueling and that. But ultimately, it's how can we keep you operating at a certain level for an extended period of time where when you show up, Bob, not only do you show up, you show out. It's like, man, I want to be like that guy. Oh, there's something about him. Wow, where did he get that? Or when this individual walks in the room, he or she becomes the decisive element in their workplace. It's like, yeah, Bob, did you lose weight? Did you get your hair cut? Are you wearing a new suit? No, man, I just changed my mind. That's all I did. <laughs> it's a mindset that promotes the skill set. think, you know, years and years ago, I was in a meeting somewhere, and they talked about the corporate athlete. You know, they're talking about the professional athletes in the arena for a very short period of time, by and large, and said so yep. the corporate athlete can be in the arena for 40 years or more. And they talk about how you peak and recover, peak and recover to continue to perform for year, you know, decade after decade. Some of the stuff that we were talking about before, so you've got the corporate athlete and they're getting better at mindset and being aware of effective time and being aware of being on task and bringing the energy. But periodically, you get beat down, something happens, family issue, who knows, maybe we have a pandemic. For that person, what's the ritual that you've suggested or trained into that person that lets them step back, assess, reset, and get going again? Well, Bob, the first thing I'll share with you is that I think restoration is equally important as working. It's really important. So. My two cents to folks who are at this place where it's, it's not quite burnout, but they're experiencing some, maybe some faulty thinking and they're a little disappointed or discouraged or they're just fatigued. The first thing is this, look, you have to find a way to, to find 45 minute escapes per day. Every single day we fall into finding 45 minute escapes. For me, I run up to the local coffee house and I will sit there and I will warm up my imagination, Bob, with a triple espresso component with caramel and whip and I will just celebrate, my friend. From time to time, I'll have a cup from China or some other place, and I will imagine that I'm in that location. And I'm telling you, the mind is a powerful tool. So what we have to do is we have to learn how to sell ourselves on ourselves. We're going to get knocked down. There are things that we can do to make this happen, Bob. And can I just kind of walk you through just one example? Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we share with whomever we're working with is 
Upon awakening, be incredibly territorial. Remove all the distractions. When you first wake up, it's not the time to communicate a bunch of different things out loud or anything like that, because as we speak, we create. The first thing we want you to do is to turn your attention inward and see what you're saying, see what your internal narrative is, is talking to you about. It's called metacognition, thinking about thinking. And Bob, in this day and time, thinking about thinking is really something that just doesn't take place. So once you determine what's going on in there, if the words aren't something that's uplifting and powerful and complimentary, we have a responsibility to shift those words. So first things first, upon awakening, silence your mind. I call it serve the eviction notice to the freeloader that lives up there. He ain't paying no rent. Kick him out. Time to go, man. So you pay attention to the internal narrative. And then you find your three words, Bob, that would be empowering to you. And you begin to think those. Now, I want to tell you, and thanks they do, I talk about this process. And it takes time. It takes daily efforts of self-improvement. I heard a psychologist one time say, you got a storm before you norm sometimes. So things can get kind of tough. Deal with that internal civil war. You find three words that are empowering. My words, Bob, are powerful, impactful, and purposeful. Those are the three words that I'm going to have in my internal narrative, and I'm going to think those to myself. That's kind of the think part, because I know as I think, I become. Now, the second piece is this. Once I think these things, then what I have to do is I have to deploy those thoughts, Bob. I have to deploy them. And I'm not saying some lightweight fashion. I have to deploy those thoughts, which means I have to articulate those things. So I will simply use those three words, powerful, impactful, and purposeful, and I will put the words I am in front of them. So Bob, then I am powerful. I am impactful and I am purposeful. Now see, Bob, when I say I am, this means right now, in the present, not wish I was or what I should have been or could have been right now. And then I embrace those words for the rest of the day. But before I'm done, I thought about those words. I spoke those words. I have to take an immediate action. If I don't take an immediate action, I will operate 100% incongruent to the person that I choose to be on that day. These words are just mere words unless they're actionable words. So I have to take an action that will suggest that I'm powerful, impactful, and purposeful. For me, Bob, it's pretty simple. I got a small breed mastiff that sleeps with me. I rub him on the top of his head. I got a beautiful wife who lays next to that big old mastiff and I give her a kiss. Power, impactful and purposeful can be anything I choose it to be on that day. And that's kind of how I start the day. When my feet hit the ground and I get out of that bed, Bob, I express my gratitude for one more day. I express that gratitude and I'm sincere about having one more opportunity to create a positive change in someone else's life because I can. Now, this takes daily effort to self-improvement. We call it learning how to sell yourself on yourself. Let me share this, Bob. The brain processes between 45 and 60,000 thoughts per day, up to 80% are repetitive. How would we know what we're thinking unless we paused and reflected and found out? Our thoughts become a physical reality. They can. They can become a physical reality, and so we need to pay attention to what we're thinking. At any given moment, we're we're selling ourselves on ourselves or we sell ourselves out. We have to stay in tune in and check on those things. So the very first foundational piece, the very first thing is to create this AM ritual. And, you know, Bob, it's kind of funny. This really sounds juvenile as I'm speaking it. But most of us have exchanged an intellectual argument for the truth. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be these big magical words. No, no, no. It's called consistent persistence. 
you go to work, you get the job done, recognize there's going to be a setback, but that's okay. The setback is a precursor to moving forward. It's part of the success formula. Put those bad boys in place, Bob, and I'll tell you what, you can make each day a glorified exhibition of brilliance. That's the foundational model of the first step of probably seven steps and things they do. As I think I become, as I speak, I create. I do the work with passion, courage, and enthusiasm. Slam dunk. The race is for second. I'm glad you're here, but the race is for second. <laughs> A lot there. <laughs> I think about the folks out there that may well need this the most that will probably push back the hardest. They'll go, this sounds like some just happy talk, yeah, self-talk, whatever mess, you know? And then I think it says, okay, we're going to give it a shot because I don't have another alternative. So far in the weed, I need help. Clearly, in the current environment, there's challenges in the business arena right now, given all the lockdowns and everything else that's going on health-wise in the country. You know, for you, when you talk to that person, how do you frame the expectation? I want you to do this. I want you to anticipate that you're going to have these stumbling blocks. What's that discussion like? Well, Bob, the discussion, it, it, it starts like this again. Many have lost their sense of self. So the question is first is, who are you? The people who know what they want and who they are, they seem to be able to move exponentially faster and are more powerful than the others. So the question is, do you know who you are? We want to redefine the nature of your association with yourself, and let's find out who you are. The conversation will then go like this. Whatever you want to accomplish, and I believe that you can if you're willing to do the work as designed daily, here's what it looks like. We put the foundation together. I want you to commit yourself for the next 63 days to working on one habit. The one habit, Bob, is the one that will... They say there's a rising tide lifts all ships. There's one habit in our lives. If we're willing to focus on and improve that habit, it will help affect the change in many other things. Great example, when I'm working with a high-performing sprinter, 100-meter dash kid or guy, I will work on the first three pushes 70% of the time that I'm training this athlete over a full 365 days or a full year. The first three pushes are the things that will set him up, him or her up at 60 meters, and then again at 100 meters. It's called ground force application. It's the same conversation we're having right now for the corporate arena. It's like those first three pushes are gonna give you the foundation to run effectively with economy of effort and highly successful at the 60 meter mark. Don't get distracted with, focus more on how you're showing up, not so much on how fast you're progressing. The first three pushes are just like the first three thoughts of the day. They can derail you for success or they can put you in a place all by yourself. So that conversation is this. Yeah, you know what? It may not be simple. You may experience a couple of setbacks, but it's part of the success formula. And by the way, adversity and perseverance are also part of that success formula. But my responsibility, Bob, is to provide that client with a blueprint for performance and achievement. That blueprint is my responsibility as a coach to give him or her what they need based on the evaluation process, what's going on. And that friendly accountability, Bob, would you want this face and this voice in your ear every morning saying, come on, Bob, let's get this done, man. Maybe you would. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'd be the kind of client who says, hey, Coach Lee, don't need to call me today. I got this. I think you got to want to be coachable. If you're not coachable, 
then you'd better be self-starting and self-solving and figure it out for yourself. The thing that I thought was interesting, what you just said, in the racing world, my partner races cars. Mm. And he said, uh, depending on how you qualify and how you get off the start line really predicates almost where you end up. And I think about the first three steps on, you know, an athlete. And I think further on the first three steps of the corporate athlete, Mm. what are the first three things you do every day? Yep. And I wonder how much gravity folks put on that or recognize that or are aware of the first three steps. Bob, I would share with you that it's a lost art. Those first three steps, those first three things we do in the morning, sometimes it becomes so automatic that we don't even know. They're called fixed action patterns. Typically, what I see with especially some of the younger CEOs and these guys is that the first thing they do before they even kiss their wife, they reach for the phone. They reach for the phone. They reach for the computer. When they do it, the first thing that happens is this. It's going to create (laughs) information overload, decision fatigue. And the studies have shown that if we reach for that phone first thing in the morning, we become more reactive than we are proactive, which makes us harder to deal with at any given time in that day. The other thing is it becomes exhausting. We only have a certain amount of real estate. My, my two cents on those first three things, Bob, again, is this. Be territorial about your mornings. Brendan Bouchard talks about this. He's an amazing high-performance guy out there. He's territorial. And I mean be territorial. This is the time that you sell yourself on yourself, you invest in yourself. You set the tempo, then you press the agenda that way. So the first three things, just like the ground force application for the sprinter, pay attention to your internal narrative. Remove all the distractions. Define yourself based on that purpose plan and clear set of priorities and then stick to the plan. Stick to that plan. There's going to be a lot of competing agendas. Everybody needs something from you. But my responsibility as a husband, business owner, parent, community leader, I have a clear set of priorities, Bob, on every single day. From time to time, I may have to do what I call a micro pivot. It's just part of life. But ultimately, I've got my focus. I'm not going to get distracted by the fog. It's not going to happen. Bob, i got to tell you this just quickly. When I was going through this process, I'm going to say about 15 years ago, and I knew that this is the path that I was going down. I had competing agendas, friends, associates, and other people who, wonderful people, but at the, at the end of the day, it became more of a time-wasting activity. So I use the analogy that I heard from a other professional speaker. He says, look, you call the right number, but you call it at the wrong time. I'll call you back when I've gotten there, then we can have another conversation. So if you love me, don't call me. <laughs> well, and you know, I'm in it to win it. <laughs> you know, I think about the choice of answering the phone call. Oh, Just because it rings does not mean you must answer. Absolutely not. What I think about for many times, after you've been around, you've listened to a number of people talk about things you should do. Most folks are charged up and they go home and go, man, this is what I want to do. And day or two days or three days, and then the old creep and whatnot (laughs) comes back on board. What advice would you offer to that person that just, you know, I think it's a really good idea. They just can't stay with it or they find a reason not to. What do you tell that person? That's a really good question. And and I would say, Bob, that now we're moving into behavior modification. I would simply say, what is that behavior paying you to give up on your dreams? What is quitting paying you to give up on the design that you want to have on your life? And what steps are you willing to take and actions to remove that process? I would tell that person to make sure they have themselves a very good coach. 
who's going to keep them accountable. If you know your weakness, share your weakness. Let that coach know what the deal is and give him or her permission to ride you into the sunset. (laughs) You know? Drive until you don't need to, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Bob, I have a coach. I have a guy in my life who we communicate once a week. He shoots straight with me. He says, Jarvis, this is the person you say you want to be? Are these behaviors reflective of the person you say you want to be, your attitude, et cetera? You know, you need somebody in your life who's going to hold you accountable. I think friendly accountability is important. But I also think that we have to be goal-oriented. And at some point, you, you just have to be honest with people. Look, commit or quit. Make a decision to win. Make that decision. Just be the best person you can be. You don't have to be the best in the world, but it's about commitment. But if we can get somebody to show up for 12 days in a row, the first 12 days tend to be the toughest days to affect change or create a habit. You go through those first 12 days and psychologically your mind goes, okay, I don't see any changes. Why am I doing this? I think it's called, I think James Clear called it the, the valley of disappointment. You know, I haven't lost 20 pounds or whatever the case is. So we revert back to old behaviors. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're building equity every single day. And right around day 31 or so, you wake up, Bob, and you go, you know what? I'm looking at my ritual. Man, I feel good. And guess what? That little endorphin will take you through. 63 days or so, man, you learn how to sell yourself on yourself. Now, you got to keep doing it. Habits are made to continue. You just don't stop a habit. You keep doing it. I can tell you, Bob, when you know you got a habit, when you're uncomfortable the day you don't do it. <laughs> you're mad about it. You're mad about it. Yeah, you're absolutely mad about it. Yeah. That's kind of a long way of saying, you know, you got to have some stick to itness. Recognize the fact that there's going to be some obstacles and barriers in, the, in your path. Look, don't let that be the reason or the excuse for quitting. Change takes time. I think that's framing so much about that. Says, you know, you can expect along the way you're going to get to the point where you're disappointed that you don't see immediate outcome. For me, I've always been an early riser, but I've always been really jealous of my early hours. And I'm dangerous early in the morning. You know, about eight o'clock at night, I'm not worth shooting. Early in the morning, it's really quality time and ability to think and mm-hmm. dealing with that chimp in the back of your mind that seems to have be very active almost all the time and managing that little fellow. For you, when you look, think about your prototypical or ideal corporate client, what are their problems or what do they look like by the time they reach out to you and go, I've got this problem, issue, challenge. Can you come help me? What is that? Is it a specific industry or are you crossing industry you know, boundaries? We're crossing boundaries. We see it in education, extreme amount of burnout. There's a lot that's going on in the education field right now. We certainly see it in the corporate arena where Tremendous demands, at least there. Some of them are self-imposed, some of them are external. We see the athletic arena, the academic arena, the corporate arena. I think that what we have to offer from our company perspective is, is a global opportunity to improve our human productivity. I think there are many people in our world, individuals, teams, organizations, et cetera, who are just simply struggling to, I'm going to say, speak from the strength of their highest self. It's easier to operate from the strength of our lower self. I mean, there's a charmist and there's a harmless. I want charmers to show up. But we are a microcosm of the world. Bob, everything that goes on out there affects us no matter what environment we're in, academic, corporate, athletic, et cetera. So when I, the clients that we, that we get to, typically they are very close to burnout. They have 
kind of lost their path, they've lost their focus, or they feel like they're spinning their wheels. And you know, Bob, I can't tell you how to, to make more money. I'm not a financial guy, but I can teach you how to win in life. So I'm gonna teach you how to win in life and let that kind of carry over into whatever dimension that it needs to be. We, we cross over to so many different dimensions. Again, athletic, corporate, academic, it's interesting. As you look across that spectrum, you know, I don't know that athletics and life and business and performance are really disconnected. No. For you, as you go through the arena and you're working with a particularly challenging client or situation, there's families' livelihoods are at risk. There may be some behavioral issues and the senior leadership. And you step back from that. What do you do to put that away or compartmentalize or make sure that that's not catching for you. Can you say that question one more time? Let's say that I'm the corporate CEO and I've got 427 pounds of bad stuff going on. And you go, I mean, he's got kids, he's got family, he's got lots of employees and you're inside the narrative of this person and his life. How do you step out as a professional and not own the stuff that you just heard or you're trying to help? What do you do to put that away and not take it home? Bob, I established clear boundaries for myself. I have to tell you that I had to learn this the hard way. And I'll give you two examples. When I was a young coach, I thought that when an athlete lost, man, I was the worst coach in the world. But what I learned was that I will give you the tools, but I accept no responsibility for your success or failure. I will simply give you the tools. I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. And Bob, that's part of the conversation that I have up front with my clients. I want them to be crystal clear that I'm going to do my job. I'm going to swing for the fence for them, but I am not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible to the outcome. I'm going to give you what you need from this perspective. I have a ritual, Bob, that when I pull into the driveway, I've got a sign on a grease board and it simply says, done. It's my anchor word for the day. I pull in there because as I'm driving home, I'm thinking about stuff. I mean, there's many things that are going on and you don't want to fail a client. You don't want to fail your kids. You don't want to fail your family. And I've got all kinds of, you would like to you talk about kind of the Buddhist monks call it monkey brain. It's assaulted toxic thoughts that kind of come and go and they, you know, they're playing with you. I've got a grease board of mine in my uh, garage, Bob, that says done. Big letters, D-O-N-E. When I see that sign, pull into the driveway, close that garage door, I'm done. I am simply done. And because I perform my AM ritual like I'm supposed to, Bob, I can be done. If I hadn't performed that AM ritual, there's something about when I miss those days, that done sign doesn't mean anything to me. I will cross the boundary. And that also means that I'm not going to show up as royalty for my wife, whom I love dearly. I'm not going to treat her with dignity and respect like I should, and I know I do. So that boundary and that garage door, done, done is done. I also compartmentalize times where clients and I will have conversations. Typically, I'm like you, Bob, man. I'm hot as a Chinese firecracker in the morning. You know, I can solve the world's problems the first couple hours of the day. So <laughs> most of my work. If it's going to be in a coaching session or something like that, once I've done my own training, then that's when I want to kind of front load my client base because I want to be the best for them at that time. I also know that there's a time of day where, Bob, I am no good for nobody. 
I simply don't schedule clients during that time. I don't do professional development during that time. When I show up, I want things to change. And I think we have the ability to do that because as we speak, we create, we bring the heat when we show up. So it's kind of a long-winded way to say, set boundaries. I think this, Bob, when we're doing leadership training, there are two things that are so critical. And I see where many of our clients struggle, personal mastery and then leadership. Typically it's leadership and then personal mastery. Personal mastery is mastering the behaviors, thoughts, and actions. Leadership is what leadership is. And, you know, they do sit on the same couch, but you have to master yourself first. I mean, this is, I tell people sometimes, yeah, it is all about you for the first 60 minutes of the day. That's how you set yourself up for success. So personal mastery simply means, look, how are you leading yourself? How do you take care of these things? And that's really my favorite presentation. It's called inspirational to operation. It's about personal mastery and leadership training. When we're done with that thing, sometimes, Bob, I think the room is levitating. Could be my eyes, but I think they're levitating. I don't know. <laughs> I come from the military background. You know, you lead from the front. You hold yourself responsible. When you don't ask somebody else to do something you can't personally do or you haven't done. And you look at those kind of things, or as I tell folks, don't do anything you can't explain to your children. And that's a fairly good benchmark. In looking at, you have mileage, I have a few miles. And if you took the Charmus of today, <laughs> and you could offer advice to that young Charmus of years ago, what would be the nugget that you would provide? Well, the first nugget I would provide is, I'd say, Charmus, your mom and dad were right. Listen to your parents. <laughs> your folks would be so gratified <laughs> listen to what your folks have to say they're not going to tell you anything that's going to take you down a destructive path i think the second thing would be is charmus enjoy the journey you don't know how long you're going to be here so white knuckle your life <laughs> why white knuckle it why don't you enjoy the journey from 12 to, to 60 or 12 to 80, whatever the case is, enjoy that journey. Enjoy the sport. Enjoy the school. I'd also say, Charles, be a nicer person. I wasn't always a nice guy, Bob. I mean, there were times where I just, you know, I didn't even like myself, so how could I be nice to you? <laughs> you know, as you look back on your education, right, and yeah. you go, did anybody ever provide you a human operating manual? No. <laughs> they don't teach you how to think about thinking. They don't think, teach you necessarily critical thinking skills. Right. They don't teach you cause and effect. Get beat up for a while or you try to save your children from beating themselves up. Go, you need to make a new mistake. Don't make all the ones that I made kind of thing. And you know, I think the value of being a lifelong learner and not just reading what confirms your bias. Mm -hmm. Challenge your bias. Read something else. Talk to somebody else with a different opinion and be nice. Mm. Go, I understand. You know, which mm. seems to be missing in today's discourse is, say, the polite disagreement. I would agree, Bob. You, you said something that really struck a chord with me there. You hit me at a visceral level. Challenge your bias. To do that, Bob, it takes courage to challenge your bias. It's easier not to challenge it. It's easier for me to confirm my bias. <laughs> and usually you know, what I found through the years is if you don't challenge your bias and go the what if side of the house, it'll beat you to death somewhere. You'll yeah. kind of go, oh, that's dumb. Why didn't I think about that for further or, or talk to somebody wiser or surround myself with really smart people? You know, that old thing was a Jim Rohn. You're the average of the five folks you hang out with. Be mindful. Yeah. 
Well, I, I like the advice to yourself. You and I are sitting here. We've had severe thunderstorms roll through the area. So anybody listening has heard all the weird noise in the background. I thought I had Morse code going off in my headset for a while. They all had all kinds of racket from the storm come through. But I would urge you to reach out to Charmus. If, if you have a question or a thought or you go like, you know, we're struggling, just getting directional. And for them to reach out to you, Charmus, how do they find you on social media? Well, Bob, you can reach out to me at charmuslee.com. Just drop me a line. We can have a conversation. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and also Facebook. It's Charmus B. Lee. And it's also Charmus Lee Building Champions. But I'm out there on social media. Drop me a line. Reach out to me. Let's have a virtual cup of coffee and let's figure some things out. In this day and age, I mean, most of my other podcasts before the distancing thing were in person. Uh, we're now doing the social media thing. I have yep. my cup of coffee here, so I'm good to go there. You know, Charmus, <laughs> to close, is there a parting piece of advice you might offer to the folks that are, that are out there, maybe struggling a little bit or just looking for something they can bring to bear tomorrow? Absolutely. The same thing I would tell an athlete. You're never only as good as your last race. Never. Learn how to show up and show out every single day. And at some point, being consistently persistent, it will affect the change that you want to see in your life and also in this country. Never only good as your last race. I mean, Bob, you and I, based on our age, we've been through some things. The challenges and the trial that you face will introduce you to your strengths. Your experiences at some point will pay off as equity. Just like you can pull the equity out of your house after several years, you can use that equity the same way to swing for the fence every single day. I'm living proof of it. I think about where does confidence come from? Confidence comes from small victories over time, not necessarily the enormous victory. I did this pretty well. Wow, I can do something else maybe. And, you know, you think about the building blocks of confidence and skill set. And that's exactly what I think you're talking about there. Well, Charma, we were a little delayed on getting our episode done. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time on a rainy afternoon, which we don't get a lot of those, but on this rainy afternoon, and I really do appreciate you sharing. Bob, it's been an honor to have this conversation. I hope that something that we've communicated will help someone in some capacity. Thank you so much. You bet, Charmus. Hey, take care, huh? All right. Have a great day.